It's like <laughs> one of those days. Um, all right, let's go to First Peter five. Uh, this is crazy. This is week fifteen, and we are at the end of First Peter. So we have this week verses one through five, and then next week is through the end of the book, and that will end our time. It will be. Over. Um, on the last week during finals, we are going to come together and just pray. Um, obviously not expecting a ton of people that night, but if you want to come out, we'll just be singing songs and praying for Huntington, praying for our campus. That is during your finals weeks. We have this week, next week, which I'm going to say is probably my favorite passage in First Peter, all the way at the end, um, next week. And then we will be doing our prayer time for the city and the campus. We get ready to send you guys off into whatever summer stuff you're doing. And... Um, yeah, getting ready for next fall. Oh, one more thing is, if you know me personally, you know I'm really passionate about biblical theology, which is a theology that shows how all the Bible points to Jesus in one unified story. And I'm actually going to be doing a little get-together of sorts over the summer, studying through a book on biblical theology. So if that's something that you are interested in, it's not going to be like a, a church thing. It's just kind of a what we do for fun kind of thing. Um, so if you want to do that, let me know. And we're going to like group text it, figure out exactly when that'll start. It's not like a, we have to get it all done or anything, but over the summer, I want to study that. So let me know if that's something that would be interesting to you. I'll let you know what book to buy and, and things like that. Um, but as we approach the end of the semester, um, I want to challenge us first before we even get a text to, man, don't take these last two weeks off. Like I know it's so easy to, and you're winding down, the school's getting um, probably more uh, pressing, and the finals are coming up, I understand all that. But remember, like, the word preached, you responding in faith, and living for God's glory can really have ripple effects for eternity. Like, do we believe that? Um, I, I have to believe that, or I will stop doing what I'm doing. Um, if I didn't believe that every time we got together and prayed and begged God to work, and should, by His grace, we end up acting on that, that things can change. Um, so let's, let's, before we jump into 1 Peter 5, I want to catch us up to what 1 Peter has been talking about. So if you haven't been in a while, this will be a good little review for you. Um, if you've been here, then you'll, it's also a good review. You just might remember some of it. Um, we, we've talked about over and over again that Peter goes through great lengths to remind us why we are here and who we are. Right? It's the whole book of 1 Peter is about suffering, living in a broken world. And he seems to think that the most important thing for us to know, if we're going to live effectively, pushing back the darkness, advancing the gospel on our campus, in our lives, that we need to remember who we are. Right? And obviously the short answer is in Christ, but in 1 Peter he calls us this, that you are an elect exile. Um, and, and not just to sit around and gather as elect exiles, but we are elect exiles to go into the darkness to proclaim. Um, if you remember, elect means chosen. And if God is sovereign over your salvation, that means he is sovereign over every little trial that you go through to make you look more like Jesus. And if an exile, it means you're not home yet. That if this world seems to rub against your values, or you feel like things are just broken and messy, it's because you don't belong on the earth. Peter says you are an elect exile, not just to be one, but to be one to proclaim. The rest of, after chapter 1, really summarizes like this. That we not only we proclaim, but we back up that proclamation with our holiness, fulfilling roles in society. Remember we talked about being good employees, being good students, we back it up with doing good deeds, and we back it up with doing good, especially those who do evil to us. That's one of the most Christian things you can do, is someone who is evil to you, you bless them. 
Um, someone who disagrees with you and maybe tries to uh, bring you down because you don't line up with exactly where they line up, you bless. That is what Christians look like. We live in a broken world and we bless those who do evil to us. And we also address that maybe a lot of our spiritual apathy is because we're not actually living out God's purposes for our life. Remember, too often we, we love to know that commands are for our joy and we think that it's just the thou shalt not commands, right? Like, avoid this, don't do this. And we know that's for our joy, but we forget that the, the commands to do, to love, to seek justice, to show mercy, those are also for our joy. We can't just boil our relationship down with Jesus to just surviving when he purchased a life of abundance for us. So as we focus in and see what ultimately that looks like, I think the Bible's pretty clear that it's loving God and loving our neighbors or making disciples. And to do this well, and this goes into what the message title is, we have to be people who are humble. The title of the message is God Opposes the Proud. We should be humble people and not a gimmick humility that ends up being about ourselves like a everyone come check out how humble I am, right? Like I want to show off how humble I can be. Humility is understanding our state before God. And that's where our message is going to be aligning. Um, I want to say a quick thing too. This, the first four verses of this, of this chapter are really aimed at elders, pastors. And I thought, you know, going into this lesson at Campus Collective, I'm like, there will not be one elder here. <laughs> so it's kind of hard. Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do with this? But I think it would be important for us to acknowledge what elders do um, and then it can show us maybe a little more context for why these exhortations and these commands for them are important for us. And the first one I just want to challenge you is this. You should join a church. Elders lead churches, local church bodies, and you should join HCC. You could join any other Bible preaching church that might be represented here tonight. You need to join a church because here's the fact of the matter. Is that these little Tuesday kingdoms or Wednesday night or Thursday night, whatever we're trying to build, are nowhere close to as important as Sunday morning. Need to know that, that your belonging to a church should be the main vehicle that you are making disciples and reaching out to the world. That's how God's changing the world, is through the local church. So we need to be the church, obviously, but that looks like I'm telling you, join, submit to elders. Now, as we look at that, let's look at verse 1 of, of chapter 5. Peter says this So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. Here's the commands. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Let's break this apart, chunk at a time. The first one there is, so I exhort the elders among you. Um, just for educational purposes, it might be good for us to know there are two main offices in a local church. Um, other churches have different ways of expressing this, but if you want to get down to bare bones, here's the two offices. Um, you have deacon slash deaconess. Um, these are people of character proven with proven worth to dedicate their time to extra opportunities of serving. So you all probably heard of a deacon, right? Deaconess, you all have those? Um, this, this is important to know that they are people called out, that they've been tested, they are proven character to serve. But it's also important to remember this. All of us are called to deacon. Deacon just means to serve. 
Right? Sometimes it's easy to think, oh, there's these offices of the church, and they kind of do the ministry show, and then all of us kind of watch them do it. Um, there are deacon, deaconesses, people of character, proven worth um, to the body who dedicate their time to extra opportunities of serving, even though we're all called to deacon. Second one, which is the one he's exhorting, are elders, people of great character that are called to lead the church, just like deacons, but they preach and teach the word of God. So remember, all of us are called to lead in different ways and to preach and teach in different ways. But the office of elder is for people who do this publicly, kind of representing the vision of the church. Does that make sense? It's like if you go to Huntington Community Church, Adam is one of our elders, also a guy named Joe and a guy named Bruce. So those are the elders. They kind of represent the vision of our church. So this specific set of instructions here are for them. So hopefully they catch this later on the recording, right? But, uh, but I want you to see this. By implication, this is for all elders, right? Like this isn't just for the elders that Peter was writing to. For all elders. But I don't think there's any reason for us not to see these principles and apply them to ourselves in our own context of ministry. Does that make sense? So when I talk about these commands, don't just think, well, turn this. Like these are good things to be like. But to stay true to the text, we have to recognize this is mostly kind of aimed at Pastors, elders, shepherds, whatever else you all might call them. Okay, um, So let's look, as Peter keeps going, I exhort the elders among you. And I'll just say this, those, I know some of you all personally, some of you all feel like you're called to be an elder. It's like, let tonight crush you. Because these are like tough things that as people who are going to lead a church have to align to. And this has been convicting even reading these. So that being said, here's what he says. As a fellow elder, so Peter's one too. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed. So Peter is an elder, he's a shepherd, leading a church. Also happened to see Jesus suffer. I just want to remind you, remember, whenever Peter saw Jesus suffered, he denied him. You all remember this story? Like, they were like, do you know this man that's being crucified? No, I, I don't know him. So I want you to see, even if you feel like you screwed it up, God can still use you. In, in big ways, right? Like, Peter denied Jesus. And now he is an elder among elders, exhorting other elders to keep eldering, right? It's a really, really big deal to see that Peter is a trophy of grace here. Like, know that. You're not too far gone. Peter certainly wasn't. And he literally denied Jesus as he was suffering. But I want to focus in more on this next part than the suffering of Christ. I love this. As well as, so I witnessed the sufferings, as well as a partaker of the glory of God that is going to be revealed. Notice this. It looks like he's already experiencing something that is not yet here. Do you see that? I'm, I'm a partaker in the glory, partaker, who is, that is going to be revealed. And if you've been with us in 1 Peter, you know that we, 1 Peter introduced us to this idea of an already but not yet salvation, Right? Like, we are already saved, we are awaiting a salvation that is coming. Namely, all sin is gone, all suffering is gone, Jesus comes back, sets up his kingdom, forever, hallelujah, we live forever, right? But, that has present implications for how we are supposed to live now. I think Peter's getting into this. We are already saved and resurrected through and in Christ, but we await the time when he comes back. And finally and fully resurrect to be with him forever. So, Peter in Christ and by faith is partaking of that glory now. 
What is this glory? The glorious joy that has sustained him in suffering. The glorious joy that he wants these churches to have. And listen, we need to know and experience our future hope now so that we can have the power to live by faith or killing sin, overcoming suffering. In the next letter that Peter wrote, 2 Peter, he writes this, and he highlights this idea. This is one of my favorite passages of all of Scripture. 2 Peter 1, no, back up, there you go, 3 and 4. His divine power, talking about Jesus, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who has called us into his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them, here it is, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Do we partake of this thing that is already ours? How do we do that? You see here, listen, if you want to know how to experience resurrection power that is coming for you, but in the moment, overcoming sin, overcoming suffering, you do this by believing and acting upon precious and very great promises. You see that? It's, I love all these prepositions. By which is granted to us these promises, so that through the promises that you believe and act on, you might become partakers of this glory, this divine nature. So we read promises of God in the Bible. They're already true for us because Christ earned them and is now in heaven where these things will always be true. But when we believe them by faith here on earth, stay with me, I know it's getting complicated. I want you to get this. Even though we're still in the flesh, even though we're still sin, when we believe them by faith, we get to partake of a new reality that is already ours. You see that? Like, heaven's joy is possible for us now. In part, and broken, yeah, but it's actually ours let me show you a practical example. I'm a worrier. It's just a hobby of mine. And when I worry here on earth, I read a promise that God will provide for me. Okay? Pick any of them. The Lord will be with you. He'll provide all your needs for you with the riches of Christ Jesus. I believe that. And when I believe and act that this is true, I experience a peace that will forever be mine in heaven. I get a taste here, but one day there actually will no, there will not be any more sin of worry. You see this in the Lord's Prayer. Lord, uh, Father, your will as it is in heaven. You see that? That when Christ died on the cross, purchased the promises, resurrected to make them true, ascends to the Father, now his will is perfectly executed in heaven. And for the people on earth that will bow their knee to the King of heaven, those promises can become true for us. That's how we partake. If you don't experience this joy of heaven, then sin will look good. That's the point. If you don't experience the joy and the peace of heaven, then suffering will be overwhelming. It's just beautiful. So all that being said, look at verse 2 through 5. I'm going to give you the exhortations kind of in sequential order um, and then show some ministry applications for us, okay? First one is shepherd the flock among you. Um, in our ministries, we've got to remember this, we are sheep who need lead. Listen, even the leaders. All shepherds, elders are just under shepherds, under elders of Jesus. But shepherds do anything for the well-being of their sheep. So as you kind of lead in your context, whatever you're doing, discipleship groups, Sunday school class, whatever, shepherd the flock. And notice this, there's an among you there. And I think this is important, that there is a radical commitment to the people that God has given us to love and lead. Which means, when I get too caught up in controversies of things that may or may not actually pertain to me, I am robbing some of my ministry energy and effort for people who are in my, among you. Does that make sense? 
Listen, it is good to attack controversies and talk and debate and do all these things. But ultimately, to do most effective ministry, to be present with the people that God has given you. I think it's what Peter's saying. Then he says this, lead willingly, not because you have to. Check your motives in ministry. Are you doing these things because you have to or because you want to? Big difference. And Peter would say, lead willingly, not because you have to. Lead for others, not your own gain. Also check our motives again. Do we love people or do we love recognition? Do we like the platform that doing ministry brings or do we love people that God has given us? Listen, ministry is messy. You need a tender heart, tough skin. And if you're in it for you, listen, you're just going to get crushed. I'll let you know. (laughs) If you're in it so that people like you, and I know some have walked with some of y'all through this, it is not easy. You're doing ministry so people would like you and recognize you. Listen, sheep bite. (laughs) Lead for others, not your own gain. And also this, I love this. Lead without dominating. We lead by serving, not by barking orders. Are you willing to do the hard work of consistent encouragement without getting recognized? Lead as an example. And this one's scary. It literally says the elders, leaders, be examples to the flock. And listen, I can say this, but I have to ask. Do I want, like, if you're deciding Campus Collective is where you want to be, you want to be a part of the college members of HCC, especially, you are deciding that you are going to kind of end up like your leaders. That's scary. Like, because I I think about this, and like, in my public life, what I showed to you all, I say, yeah, I'd like you to be like that. I feel like I do a pretty good job of acting in a way that I think I should. But man, in my private life. It, it honestly scares me uh, to know that you all will learn from me naturally and you will take your cues from me. And if you ever want to step up in leadership and keep going and, and do this, you need to know that people who you are leading are naturally going to bend and find their vocabulary, the way they speak about God, the way they act towards others are going to kind of look like you. Last one, lead knowing that you will be rewarded. I love that faithful elders seem to get a beautiful, specific crown to throw down at the chief shepherd's feet one day. So, do this, pray for your elders. Pray for your leaders. Like, there's a million temptations that are fighting for their soul every second. And I want to see Adam Goodwin get his unfading crown of glory and throw it at Jesus' feet one day. Lord willing, he dies before me because he's 15 years older, okay? It'd be tragic if I go down before him. But one day in glory, I want to see that. Don't you love that? Lead knowing you're going to get rewarded, not just to get a cool trophy in your heaven highlight reel, but knowing you get something. Jesus has particularly said, when the chief shepherd appears, shepherds under me, leaders of ministry, Received an unfading crown of glory. Now let's shift gears. Verse 5. You get one verse aimed actually at you. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, your, clothe, clothe, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, 
That first chunk. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That is a weird phrase in our culture, right? Like, we kind of buck up against authority normally. It doesn't seem right that someone should be able in my life, someone who has no, I mean, it's a little different because my elder is my boss, but for someone who doesn't also work with their elder, you're thinking, they have a spiritual authority over me that I'm commanded to be, to be subject to. And, and we should see this as beautiful. We're commanded this, which means it's for our joy, to, the fellow, to follow the elders' lead. Elders who walked before us and are leading us as good shepherds, not for shameful gain, because they want to. Now, keep in mind, these commands aren't like a bad, domineering, mean, shameful gain leader does not get to use this verse and say, be subject to me because of, I'm an elder. Both of these commands hold the same weight. And as the elders are being flattened by this and leaders are saying, I've got to do this for God's glory, not mine, the people under them will gladly subject and honor the Lord through that subjection. Christians should love this. We are designed to submit to elders and to flourish in this way. Listen, I'm not an elder. It's one of my favorite things in the world. The elders, we had staff meeting this morning. And they said, all right, Dustin, it's time for you to leave. And they literally had a five-hour elders meeting. I don't even know what it was about. And it was awesome because I was out here. Granted, didn't have an office. They took my one room. It's sort of an office. I was laying on the stage working. But it's beautiful that there are God-designed ways for the church to work. And right now in this life, none of us are called to be present-time elders. Listen, when your pastor sees you, I don't care what church you go to, they should be so excited to see you. And like, no elders here like told me to say this, okay? First Peter told me to say it. I mean that though. Like, what kind of church member are you? You who are younger, be subject to elders. Look at this. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Clothe yourselves. So what people should see about us is our Humility. Your clothing decisions, what you put on before you leave your house, show what you want people to see. Makes sense, right? Like none of y'all got dressed thinking, I hope no one sees this. And and, and likewise, you, you think like when not to be gross, but like when I decided what underwear to put on today, I wasn't thinking about any of you. For real though. Like I didn't think people are gonna see this. But when I did decide what clothes I was putting on, I knew others would see. So I decided to put on the same pair of jeans I've worn for two weeks and to put on this green shirt that I wear as soon as it's clean. I love this shirt. But the point is this. What people... You're all thinking, man, he really did wear that last Tuesday, didn't he? (laughs) Um, The point is, is that what people should see about Christians is that we are humble. Listen, especially toward one another. Would your closest friends say you're a humble person? Christians should be the most humble people in the world. Think about like what being saved means. Like some people kind of wear that as like a badge of honor. Like there's a sinner saved by grace as if it's like a, just an awesome moral decision they made. But like Nobody brags about the way they didn't drown while the lifeguard drags them to the shore. No one. Like, when that story is running 
on the news, this heroic lifeguard dragged the person in from the ocean. No one's interviewing the person who was drowning and being like, how did you stay alive that long? You're a saved person if you're a Christian. And we can't be humble toward one another without wanting to see others succeed, celebrating them, serving them, praying for them, being humble towards them. And if you follow Jesus, you are saying you understand that your way and your will was leading you to death and destruction. Any form of pride after that is posturing yourself toward hell. Who do we think we are? No one. No one should wear Christianity like it's some kind of awesome moral decision you made. It should be flattened. Humility is also not some morbid self-hatred. This is kind of my brand of humility that's actually pride. I'll think that if I can just like think of all the wrong things that I've done, and some of y'all probably hit this, like I'll say something stupid and call you immediately or like aggressively text you early in the morning. I'll do that. Trying to look humble. But in reality, I think sometimes I just want people to see that I am really humble. Humility is the understanding that we are, listen, nothing without God. But, because it swings the other way, right? Like, oh, we're nothing, and it's, ah, we just are, hey, ah. Since God is, there are true things about us. Let me say it again. Humility, understanding, you are nothing without God. Literally, the air in your lungs but also just your spiritual fervor, anything that is you is nothing without God. But since God is, there are true things about you, that you were valued, that you were loved, that you were created. But this only comes from understanding our nothingness without God. It's freeing, really. You don't have to be your own God and give your own purpose. Humility is for your good. And since we understand this, right, we're all going to leave here it should be easy to love and be humble toward others, right? Like it's just, all we need to hear is, all right, be humble. But it sneaks in. Pride sneaks in a hundred million different ways. There's a few. And these are just ones that I've seen in my life. I'm sure if we all got up here and confessed, we could reach that hundred million mark. We could be fake humble, right? Humble for recognition. You can just straight up be overly cocky. That's the easy one. You can loudly want attention or you can silently judge others for not being like you. You can never use your time and resources for others. You can only be friends with people for what they give you. You can never submit to authority. Every sin boils down to you deciding that your way of life is better than God's. And for non-Christians, you're naturally prideful in your sin. You do not honor Jesus as Lord. You honor yourself as Lord. Here's the scary part. Here's where I want us to land before we sing. Perhaps one of the scariest forms, man, of pride comes in ministry. Not, I'm talking just like the actual doing of ministry, not to mention the kind of rising to get a ministry platform or all of a sudden someone trusts you with a microphone. The scariest forms of pride come. When we're doing, I'm telling you, we're going to go after it in the fall. We're going to try to reach people and do things. 
But my goodness, if this ever becomes about us, we have lost it. When we work hard to put on the ministry show, either individually or in our events and programs, and we see our ministry accolades as trophies of our competency instead of the work of God, we have missed it. And this happens, y'all. Like I have pastor friends. When I ask them, how's their ministry going? Their first answer is, we had 200 last Sunday. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to count. Although that one time David counted, he got nailed. David in the Old Testament. But, it's a deep Old Testament, deep track joke. But most of the time, people will just point to something that you can see, right? Wow, that church must be really successful. There's a 150 people, 200, they've grown by this, blah, blah. And that is all good. But the moment that it becomes about the show, you have missed the entire point. Shepherd the flock among you. Like, my job is to teach to the people that are here, not to the seats that are empty. And the higher you get in ministry, the harder that becomes. Because all of a sudden, your entire worth and self-value is wrapped around how many people you're reaching, or how many things you've done, or how many things you're a part of. Don't fall for it. We're not alone, though. I love this passage in Luke 10. This is the disciples after they're sent out. If you all remember, uh, I believe it was uh, fall semester week two, which none of you all remember. But we taught on Luke 10. And Jesus sends out 72. Anybody remember this? The advanced sermon? Thanks, Hannah. All right. This is interesting. They're coming back. So they've, they've done their thing. Sent out. Remember, no staff, no bread. Rely on Jesus. Do hard work and ministry. They're all fired up. And they came back. The 72 returned with joy. They are pumped. My gosh, don't, please don't miss this. This is the only, if we can get this all semester, we'll have won. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. That is a powerful ministry. It's like, how, how's your ministry going? We have 400 on Sunday, and oh yeah, all the demons ran away. And he's, look at this. Jesus does not say, great job. Or, that's exactly what I told you to do. Or, let's make sure we get this on Facebook. I'm I'm serious. His first thought wasn't, let's get this ministry moment so that everyone else can see it. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I mean... You imagine you come up to me. I know a lot of y'all love share, love hearing your stories about sharing the gospel, and you're like, "Thus, I share the gospel," and I'm like, "I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven." I'd be lying. I didn't see it, but if I just said that, but look what he says. This is crucial. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. If you have questions about the theology of that, talk to Ben O'Dell afterwards. And over, look, all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Sounds pretty like a pump-up speech, right? Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus responds to their ministry report with the shocking account of before the world began and when Satan fell. 
That's weird. Can I say that? But I think the question is, what should we really be rejoicing in fundamentally under everything? That you are saved. Because rejoicing in the fact that you are saved gives you no glory because we're not going to wear it like a badge of honor. When people ask me, how's it, how's it going? The campus Collective, whatever. I try to just think of salvation stories, right? It's incredible that Christians still want to come in on a Tuesday night at 7, sing some songs, and they've went through a lot. We've had no heat, no light switches, no stage, and we've switched locations four times. If you're like looking at the starting campus ministry book, we've done everything actually completely wrong. But it's my sinful, prideful tendency to want to throw the numbers out. Get out my little spreadsheet. Say, oh man, people said we'd have ten. And look at us. Who cares? What should we rejoice in? We are saved. And listen, listen y'all. You are gifted and I believe in you. And I think you are going to change the world. I believe that. But before you ever did work for the kingdom, the king saved you. Before you ever did ministry, he ministered to you. To you, Dustin. Before you ever did anything of eternal worth, he chased you down and saved you. God opposes the proud. But he also loves the proud. Because all of us in some way in our sin nature have pride oozing out of us. And God has sent His Son, Jesus. We're going to learn to rejoice in the salvation. We've got to end every sermon with the gospel, not commands, right? Sent His Son, Jesus, the true and better shepherd. He came for those who would trust in Him. He came willingly, not because He had to, not my will, but yours, Father. He came for our gain, not His. He got the worst of us. We get the best of Him. You cannot over-exaggerate the love of God for you. Like, don't leave here without knowing that. Don't get caught up in how many different men in this age of celebrity, pastor, and platform ministry. We have just become people who just kind of want people to recognize everything. And just remember, you can't over-exaggerate the love that God has for you. He came without dominating us, tenderly helps us. He came as our example of what true abundant life will be like, and He earned His reward of accomplishing the Father's will, and He decides to share that with us. Just Kelly, come on back up, please. And as we fix our eyes here, we've got two, two songs. You think about this. We're going to sing... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten more songs this semester together. <laughs> Let's not leave here only dreaming about the kind of things we want to do in the fall or get our stuff done. Let's rejoice tonight that Jesus, the true and better shepherd, saved you. You were a sheep on your way off the cliff. He died for you. And use your gifts and lead and do work, but rejoice because you are saved.